Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Every now and then you just got to let go and give him all the honor and all the glory and all the praise that he deserves. Hallelujah to the name of the living God. How many of you know that God is fighting for you? You ain't lived a Christian life until you had a right to retaliate and something that happened to you and you decide somehow, some way, shape or form based on the word of God that you're gonna stand still and see the salvation of the Lord in your life and you back up and you say, you know what? I'm gonna stop trying to work and I'm gonna let God work in my stead and I'm gonna just let you know from experience that God fights better than you. You just be the promoter and let him be your fighter. Somebody gonna get that on the way home. You gotta know a little bit of boxing business to know what I'm talking about. But you can promote the fight and just let him fight. And I guarantee if you let God take care of it, it'll get taken care of in a finality that you can't. And um, the Bible said he will, he will um, make um, you have a table in the presence of your enemies. God always loves to redeem, restore, and vindicate in broad daylight. And, um, and that's, that's the beautiful thing. I've learned over the years, even in pastoring, this is, this is some pre-pastoral background stuff, is that 50% um, of the stuff that people say about you is right, and 50% of it is wrong. But if you don't know how to, um, if you don't know how to take, take your gloves off and let God fight for you, you'll look stupid fighting on your own in your own personal life. But some of you are going through some stuff right now where you're fighting on your own. And um, God ain't meeting you in that fight because you're the one fighting. But if you would let go and let God jump in for you, he can do a better job in the ring of life than you can. Somebody say amen. Amen. Stand to your feet as we... Um, Get in the word. Tamara Collard lost her brother um, to gun violence last week here in the streets of Philly, and we want to keep that uh, uh, that family lifted in prayer as um, they are seeking justice for the people who uh, murdered um, her brother. We we had two members last year, well, in the last year now, that lost their sibling to gun violence, and so we want to um, we walked with the other family. Want to. Do we can to walk with Tamara? So if you know her, she's in your life. She was in the fall, um, the fall class, and, and just came a member in November. And so we want to make sure that we come around her and um, be with her and her family as they're in this time of not just uh, grief but tragic grief. Uh, also, I'm thankful to the Lord. I know many of you've been asking and praying for my wife. She's out of the hospital, so she was at second service, and um, she's doing well. And so keep our family lifted up in prayer. We're, we know that some of this is natural and a lot of it is spiritual. And so um, we are, ever since we said we're going to do a spiritual warfare series, all different kind of stuff start happening. But 
it's all right. When you're being sustained by God, you can keep it moving and begin to try to be healthy as God creates and makes you healthy. Um, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Genesis 3, 1 through 7, and verses 14 through 15. <clears throat> 1, 2, 3, read. Amen. In this third installment of our series through spiritual warfare, I want to talk about why are we fighting? Why are we fighting? Let's go before the Lord God. God, um, thank you that we don't fight without reason, but we have an enemy that hates us and you, and that we are tooled and given the ability to be prepared for whatever comes in this battle. Lord, be with us and give us strength. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We're trusting you for heaven's oil that gives strength uh, to the weary and gives power to the fighter. God, we thank you and we ask you to destroy everything in our life that attempts to malign your character, malign your glory and take us distant away from you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Why are we fighting? Um, one of the things about dealing with today, we're going to deal with Satan. Somebody say Satan. Satan. It's interesting dealing with um, his story because a lot of things in our society, and particularly in the church, is really folklore about Satan. When I say folklore, it's untruths about Satan <clears throat> that really give him more power yeah. than he actually has. Satan is not all-knowing. He has to study you. He's not all powerful. He's been given power that's on borrow. But not only uh, is he not all powerful, um, he's also uh, uh, not all present. That means he's not everywhere at the same time. He has to distribute authorities and leaders and deal with them as it pertains to doing his bidding and will. It's just a little uh, whistle over here. Somebody grab that for me, fellas. Um, the other thing about Satan is that we think Satan owns hell. 
And so one of the things about um, Satan owning hell, we think that um, he's down there waiting for us to torment us. But hell doesn't belong to Satan. Hell belongs to God. Because God is the one who created it. Actually, Satan's afraid of hell. And so, so he's, he's, he's not like down there waiting for you to come here like in the Tom and Jerry cartoon with the escalator kind of coming down. He got some boiling water down there with a pitchfork and a tail looking at you waiting for you to come down so he can torment you. Um, really, to be honest, um, Satan isn't the most scary thing in the universe. I'm by myself. Uh, actually, uh, Satan, you, you should respect his power because God calls you to know it enough to deal with it. When I say respect, I'm not talking about honor and reverence. I'm talking about understand it so that you don't under, overestimate where you are in your own strength and end up getting flatlined because you're acting a fool in your own strength. Um, but, 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 but hell belongs to the Lord, and the Lord is the one who's going to throw the, the enemy in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. We're going to get to that in a second. But in this passage, we come to an interesting um, part of Scripture because Scripture says very little about Satan. But the stuff that it says about Satan is enough, is just enough to have us to have enough information to know him on every single level. And so it's very, very important as we get into these different verses that we're gonna be more on the teaching side today. Somebody say teach. teach. Uh, say it one more again. We're, 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 gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna slow down. We, we, had, some, we had some good weeks, the weeks before and I wanna continue that, but I want, I want us to really pause and understand some information about this and concerning Satan, put back up our definition on spiritual warfare, our first definition. Number one definition, and then we'll put up the second one. Number one, the disciple of Christ using spiritual weapons for an unseen fight. The disciple of Christ using supernatural weapons for an unseen fight. I don't want you to forget that. You're going to want to take a lot of notes this sermon because this is going to be one of them note notes sermons. All right. A lot of notes today because I want you to wrap your mind around understanding some things. Uh, put, put up the big definition for me. Put up the big definition for me. There it is. Thank you. Uh, spiritual warfare defined is the act of the blood-soaked disciple being woke to the constant resistance of the kingdom of Satan against the kingdom of God. Again, it is the act of the blood-soaked disciple being woke to the constant resistance. Somebody say constant resistance. Of, Satan, of the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom against the kingdom of God. You have to know that there is constant resistance against you. That, that, your, that, that Satan does not take, his kingdom does not take a vacation from you. As a matter of fact, I see a lot of young folk, younger folk in here, everybody young, but younger folk in here, listen, even at your age, he's after you. Matter of fact, he loves your age because in the season of life that you're in, what he loves to do is to specifically prepare you for long-term captivity to him. <laughs> and so now God has put graces in your life, particularly if you have Christian parents and Christian shepherds and disciple makers in your life that are help helping you to, be, to deter some stuff that they fell into that God had to deliver you from. And so as we look at this passage, we see his origin story. This is kind of like a, a movie origins, like there's been this saga going on then all the time. Oh, now you're getting the backdrop. But, but some of the ways I believe we looked at this, and it's within orthodoxy, but it's, it, I have a slightly different view on 
on, on how Satan showed himself, and, and, and I have a lot of good company with this, in, in, in this passage. Um, and, and we're going to see this and see who he is and see what his ending is. And so that brings me to my first and last point. I got one point and one point only. This is a lot, y'all. Is this, so, so I'm condensing this down. Satan's day is coming. Amen. Mm. Now in the right space, that would have been enough to make an eruption happen. Because if he's ever been busy in your life, you, you should be extremely excite, excited that his day is coming. Uh, um, in, in other words, you, you, you have the promise based on the word of God that his resistance on you has an expiration date. <laughs> his resistance has an expiration date. And, 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 so, and so, but your resistance on him should never have an expiration date. So as we look at this passage and look at what it says, it's a lot here. All right, let's read it. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent. Stop right there. Now when you look, it's easy to look at a passage like this and uh, um, most would think that, you know, um, it's going to talk about him talking to Eve and, uh, you know, people utilize that to say that before the fall, animals used to talk. You know, and I don't know if that's what the Bible's teaching here, um, but it's interesting here that it says now the serpent. And so in the mind of the Jewish mind, they would have known exactly sort of what you would, what was being talked about here, particularly uh, later on, right before the New Testament. Um, there's some interesting things going on in this passage that I want us to believe and understand what the identity of this cat is who is called the serpent, and later on in Revelation, he's going to be called the serpent of old. Now, if you remember, we talked about for the first two weeks that heaven and earth were merged. Somebody say merged. There was a connection, listen, between heaven and earth, and therefore, uh, in, in what we call the garden here, and you'll see what the garden actually is in a second, uh, a broader view of the Garden of Eden, we will see, is, is that in this time, there were points and times with Adam and Eve, based on this and experiences in chapter two and uh, uh, chapter one a bit, where there was no split, and they were able to see um, a person who presented themselves as Yahweh. Um, but then here, the question is, is this a serpent or is this euphemistic language to talk about this actually being a way to express the nature of comparing the craftiness of a being to that of a serpent and then later the Bible kind of lays out the power and reality of what we're dealing with in the passage. And why was Eve not so surprised that a snake was talking to her? Let's turn over to Ezekiel, 30, uh, Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Y'all tracking with me? All right, Ezekiel 28. It says in verse 11, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, lament for the king of Tyre and say to him, stop right there. Now the king of Tyre, He's talking specifically to the king of Tyre, but as you read the passage, it's impossible to say that this is merely talking to the king of Tyre. You'll see the same pattern in Genesis chapter three. 
Now, 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 now what's happening here is that, is that Yahweh is talking to the king of Tyre, but when we go over to Isaiah chapter 14, and you'll see when we get further in the series in the book of Daniel, that a lot of times the enemy hid behind earthly kings as a way to molest their authority for his own desired ends. And so here in the passage, the king of Tyre is directly being talked to, but he's talking to somebody behind the somebody that he's talking to because the characteristics of the person in this text can't merely be the person that he's saying he's talking to is actually a king behind a king. That's why, you look in, that's why you look in Daniel and said, the prince of Persia was resisting me. He wasn't resisting Gabriel himself. It had to be a spirit behind that spirit. Look at what the text says. It says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Stop right there. Now, you know that the king couldn't have been in Eden. So it has to be talking about someone else. Now, here, as you begin to look at the reality of what's happening, the person he's talking to is behind the person, and this person is in Eden. Now, it's called the Garden of God. Why is it called the Garden of God? Because before there was an earthly tabernacle there was a, uh, uh, th th that was made by the children of Israel, this was God's original tabernacling point on earth at this particular time. That's why he showed up. It's called the Garden of God, where the presence of God dwelt. And that's why they made tabernacles. And I'll show you in a minute what this has to do with that and what that has to do with Satan and his connection to the tabernacle and the reflection of that and why we need to understand who this cat really, really, really is. It says, every kind of precious stone covered you. Um, carnelian, topaz, and diamond. He was blinged out. Beryl, onyx, jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created. I like that. Because God is telling it, the enemy, even in this state, that you were created. <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that when he's talking about the enemy, he's talking to him to let him know that he doesn't have any authority over him. Now, the beauty of him knowing the, the, us knowing this reality is that anything that's created has limitations. <laughs> and if it has limitations... That means God always has power over anything that's particularly created. And so in our lives, we got to be very, very careful of letting the enemy's wolf tickets, like the old school folk used to say. In other words, selling lies to you, making you think he's bigger than he actually is when it comes to God. Now, the question is, whoever is bigger in your life is your God. The question is, is the created thing, the devil bigger in your life, or is God bigger in your life? And that's shown by a few things that we will see later. But he goes further, and he says, you were an anointed guardian cherub. Stop right there. Now you have to understand, when the Bible, you ever heard the Bible say, Lord of hosts? It, it means Lord of armies, but those armies are hosts are those who populate the, the, the celestial plane, if you will, heaven. Now, a lot of people try to make cherubs and seraphim angels. They're actually a different group of beings. 
Now, now I'm going to tell you why we know this, because angels, when they showed up as messengers, on, and there's levels of angels, there are archangels and warring angels, and then they're just messenger angels. Most of the angels that we see in the Bible are messenger angels. And they don't have wings, and they're not little fat people with little wings on it, like that's not them, right? <laughs> but when you look at the, cher the cherubim or the cherubim, they are a different group of beings. I don't have time. I'm going to make you study a little bit. Read Ezekiel 1. Read Ezekiel 8. Go ahead and read for yourself. But, 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 the, but the cherubim, there were different stations of cherubim. There were guardian cherubim, and there were cherubim that, that, that the Lord utilized as his chariot. It's, it's some fly stuff up in there with that. <clears throat> now, this guardian cherub shows us that it's a reflection of earth because when you go to the tabernacle in Leviticus and in Exodus, what was over the mercy seat? Cherubim. What did they cover? The mercy seat. What does Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 9 say that the tabernacle and those things of earth were? It was a type or a copy of what's in heaven. So that means that there is an actual ark of a type in heaven that's covered by actual cherubim, which let us know if he was a guardian cherubim, he probably was one of the ones that was very close to God's presence. Now, what's blowing my mind, family, is Paul says that God dwells in unapproachable light. So on the edge of that unapproachable light that you can't come into, which probably is the inner court, not the holies of holies, these cherubims stood guard on the outside of the unapproachable light that Yahweh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit sat in. Oh, this ain't rocking you, it's rocking me. And these cherubims stand on the outside as guards, ice cold dudes. But what's funny, it's not many of them, but what's funny, is why does God need guards? He doesn't. They're just decorations. <laughs> now, <clears throat> what's crazy though about this is that he was near the presence of God. He can hear them saying, holy, holy, holy is Lord. Why would you be that close to God and be willing to forfeit being at the highest level of service any being can be at in the universe and forfeit that place. I'll give you three principles that'll help you out with that. Number one, questioning where God has you can cause you to question God and lose your purpose. Let me say that again. Questioning where God has you can cause you to question God and lose your purpose. Where's that in the Bible? Let's look at, let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 28. It's unbelievable. Look at what it says. <clears throat> Verse 10, it says, they all respond to you saying, you too have become as weak as we are. You have become like us. Your splendor has been brought down to Sheol uh, along with the music of your harps. Maggots are spread out under you and worms cover you. We'll talk about that later. Shining morning star 
how have you fallen from the heavens? You destroyer of nations. You have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. Uh-oh, these are, these are the other beings that are the celestial beings that oversee the earth and the kingdoms and nations. He said, I will sit on the mount of gods of the assembly in the remotest parts of the north. Why is that important? Because Satan had all this position, but he still wanted more. Let me explain something to you. One of the things that's very, very important is when you get discontented with God has you, you will always want more, but it will always expose where your character actually is. Because getting more will never, ever make you satisfied if your character isn't satisfied with God where you are. Satan is the prime example of the fact that God fulfilling your dreams doesn't bring happiness. See, many of us think if our dreams came to pass, we'd be happy. But even at the highest point of servitude in the universe, an eternal being with a divine nature still could not find satisfaction in being. Can you imagine being in the presence of the living God? I mean, I mean, y'all looking at me like y'all don't get this, but I'm trying to let you know, like he's the superstar of the universe. He's the one that spoke into nothing and something had to obey. He's the one that formed the entire of the firmative and, and hung the rafters of eternity. This is this one. And the issue in our lives is this, is when you're not satisfied with God, nothing will satisfy you. But guess what we try to do? We try to get cheap substitutes that we want to give us attention so we can feel better about ourselves. Okay, let me give you an example. I was in the airport, I saw this star, I was excited. I saw this star, and I'm like, I'm going to go up and get me a selfie with the star. And so I went up, and I was like, yo, can I get you? And they, was, they acted a little funny and weird and like they didn't want to do it, all that. And then they finally took the selfie, and I felt some type of way. <laughs> because I'm like, I supported you. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't care how many fans you got. If I come up and I supported you, you get yourself together, and you make this moment great for me. <laughs> Understand what I'm saying? But then I thought about it. I said, for a micro superstar who really don't care about me, and I supported it, I went through all of that to get close to it. But when I got close to it, I felt rejected and I felt worse than before, even though I got a picture with a person that I'll never, ever spend time with again. But God, who created eternity, the heavens and the earth, has given me eternal access to be in his presence. And I am more excited about what he created than the one who created the thing that I'm actually excited about. That takes me to this with Satan. You can be near God's presence and not be in his presence. <laughs> Satan was near it, but not in it. How many of you in the church? Be straight up. You're around the things of God, but you're not into the things of God. Some of us come to the gathering, but are we being filled? Some of us are around salvation, but are we actually really saved? 
Know how I know that's going to happen? Because Jesus says in Matthew 25 that there are sheep and goats already sown within the assembly of the church. And that they are going to have to be separated because they're sown in with the wheat and the tares. And what's interesting is as I minister to mystery cults and all different types of things, everybody used to be a Christian, which is an impossibility if you were really one. But what's interestingly enough, they know just enough about Christianity to be dangerous. And the challenge is, is they really thought they were in the faith, but they were in the church. And then one of their biggest things about what they left about the church is, is they don't have any depth of content of information. So they wanted to sit under more. Now, I love the clothes. I love the organ. I love the who. But every now and then, you need to have the, the maturity and stamina to sit under some steaks and potatoes and some broccolini. You don't need to always be up under some fast food fries and, and, and all of that kind of stuff and some gravy and some donut international ministries. Listen, sometimes you need to just intake for preparation for you to be able to stand in some stuff. And so when you look at, when you look at the reality of what Satan, Satan has set up is, is so much confusion and craziness within this passage that shows us that this is his M.O. forever. Oh, God, help me. He, and then, listen, getting in a high position isn't the remedy from pride and discontentment. Getting a high position is not a remedy from pride and discontentment. In this passage, the enemy realized that he didn't want to be in the position that he was in, not realizing the high position that God had already put him in. And when you don't realize the high position that God has already put you in, in relation to his presence, because being in his presence is a high position, not stuff that you accumulate on earth. So many of us think that our high position is based on our communicate, commu uh, 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 what we accumulate versus him. And so what we begin to go through life is frustrated and angry with God about what he didn't provide versus rejoicing in him providing himself. I'm going to tell you, that right there, church, is the secret of your downfall. The secret of your downfall is God not being enough constantly in your life. That is the core of what spiritual warfare is about, is God not being enough. How do I know? Turn back to Genesis 3. <laughs> Turn back to Genesis. It's all in the text. Look at what it says. It says, <clears throat> now, this is interesting. Did God really say, the devil a wild boy. He said, you can't eat from any tree of God. Now, she didn't tell him that, which means he had to be eavesdropping. So how in the world was the enemy in the garden? Because he didn't fall yet, possibly. Oh, y'all thought Satan fell and two-thirds of the angels went with him? Revelation 12, 7 hasn't even happened yet. That's him getting kicked out of the spirit realm. Not him getting kicked out of heaven eternally. Go back and read Revelation 12 in the, in the order of Revelation. And you'll see that a lot of times we apply that passage of two-thirds of heaven going away with him that has nothing to do. It's, it's two-thirds of the heavens that were, that were fighting against the, the God's uh, kingdom that got kicked out with him that was already with him. So they were already fallen at that point. So the question is, is there another fall? Or maybe this is at the point that he fell at the same time as Adam and Eve. <laughs> Maybe. 
The issue is, he failed. It doesn't matter whether you believe it was before this. He failed. But I'm just saying, Revelation 12 is not before Genesis 1. It's not. Read it in context. You can read any commentary. Everybody across the board will tell you Revelation 12 hasn't happened yet. But see, we got folklore in the church. Look at what he says. And the woman said to the serpent, so he came up as a carabin in the garden, in his outfit, his topaz, and his, and his emeralds, and his diamonds, and his six wings. He didn't come up as no Eve. That would have wowed anybody out, right? And I know they didn't have no beef with the animals, and the animals start talking. But listen, this is how, this is why I believe he wasn't a snake. This is one of the reasons. Because no spirit being can enter an animal without permission. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. Every now and then we got to dive deep. Somebody say dive deep. <laughs> when Jesus came to this guy, he said, what's your name? Legions, for we are many. Please do not cast us into the pit. Please permit us to go into the pigs. Why didn't they just go into the pigs? Because they didn't have the ability without permission from God to do it. So therefore, I don't see in this text for me, Satan going into the snake without Yahweh's permission. Ezekiel 28 lets us know that it wasn't a snake in a garden, but a cherubim in the garden. So he goes up to there, and, and, and at this moment, he goes up and he says, the woman said to the serpent, she said, we may eat um, from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it. See, that's why you got to add something, Eve. He ain't tell you nothing about touch. <laughs> and this is what we all do. It's not women, it's us. So we ain't going to dog women, using this as a way to make it like only women do this. Somebody says, see, that's what I've been trying to tell you. You be just adding stuff. <laughs> Told you not to add that to the grits, you know what I'm saying? You adding stuff. You know you add stuff, right? You know how we do. <laughs> <laughs> but she added a prohibition to God's word which substandardized God's word in her life. Because whenever you add your word to God's word, it's no longer God's word, it's yours. And listen, your word can't keep you. Only God's word can keep you. Which lets you know you don't need an extra prohibition in God's word to be faithful to God's word as a legalistic way to give yourself righteousness. No, God's word is enough by itself. <laughs> and so look at what the text says. Look what the text says. And she said, Satan said, nah. Girlfriend, you, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, Elohim knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open, shorty. <laughs> Listen, check me now, check me now. You'll be like one of us, one of the sons of gods, or gods, Elohim. Singular verbs first, plural verbs second. 
God's, not Elohim, even though Elohim is naturally plural, but context lets you know whether or not to translate it as plural or singular. So here in the text, it's interesting that he's saying, you will be one of the rulers like us. Where do we get the rulers from? Ah, I wish I had time. Ah, I ain't going to take it all up on y'all because y'all look like y'all about to fall asleep. So, okay, okay, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to give y'all a little lesson. Say, give us a lesson. So, so, so I remember when I was back in the days, back in the early 90s, we'd be like, what's up, God? How you doing, God? You know what I'm saying? And then I'll hit up the 5% nation. They would say, yo, man, yo, what's up, God? I'm like, why are you calling me God? He said, didn't your Bible say we're all gods and that you'll fall like men? Uh, no, no, they would never put that part. You're all gods, and then they stop right there. You know how cults do. They always stop. I said, no, read the rest. You'll fall like men. And most of us... <laughs> and, 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 most, and, and most of us... And most of us get stomped on that because even in John 10, 34, Jesus says, didn't he say of them who see the word of all God? But in, in Psalm 82, it's talking about the divine counsel of Yahweh. There's a counsel of people that he doesn't need counseling from, but he allows to give him counsel as if they're actually counseling him, but they don't counsel him. Just like he doesn't need us to worship him to feel good about himself, but he allows us to worship him so that we can enter into the enjoyment of the enjoyment that he's already had with himself before the foundation of the world. That's worship. That was for free. <laughs> then, I just love it. God disinherited the nations, Deuteronomy 32, and made Israel his inheritance. Go look all this up. Deuteronomy 32, go look up Psalm 82, read the commentaries on it. It's beautiful stuff. And he made Israel his inheritance because of after the fall, he was rejected. So, who the, so they got distributed over the nations. These nations, help me today, God, were, were all given authority by the sons of God. Those same sons of God are the same sons of God in Job chapter 1. There was not only one fall. Satan wasn't the only fall. Even Genesis 6 is a fall because that wasn't kings on earth. Those were the sons of God that are celestial beings in the heavens. And we'll talk about where demons come from out of that in a minute. Not today. Next week. It's too much. It's too much. And so what he's telling Eve is if you eat from the tree, you'll rule the world. The problem with that, family, is Yahweh already told Adam and Eve to rule. But, he, but, but it came with some verbs. Subdue, equaling work. But Satan said, if you eat from the tree, it'll happen immediately. See, the devil always tries to bait you with a shortcut. When God has already given it to you, it's just God makes you wait. See, anytime you got a shortcut, the fruit of the spirit, to get what God promised you, it's not from God. And he's trying to get them to take a shortcut, and sad to say, they take the shortcut. And then Yahweh, who was already in the garden, he's already there in a theophany. A theophany, write it down, is God showing himself in human form. So the pre-incarnate Christ, we believe, Jesus Christ, waits till it gets cool <laughs> outside, not as if 
the breeze of the evening can cool down the anger of a wrathful God. And his nostrils were flaring as he went through the garden. And what's crazy is the Bible says in Ezekiel that usually when a th- God travels in a theophany, he likes to ride a cherubim under this foot and a cher- God likes to roller skate on his creation. It's, I'm telling y'all this stuff is in the Bible. Y'all think I'm tripping. And he's going through the garden. I don't know if he's riding them through the garden and he's going. He's going through the garden. He's, he's, just, he's just rolling through the garden. You know what I'm saying? He's just going through the garden, right? Y'all still struggling with me? And he says, Adam, where are you? Now, why would an omniscient God ask a finite being, where are you, if he knows everything? That's because he knows where you are. He's asking, do you know where you are? (laughs) Whenever God asks, where are you, it's not like your parents. They really looking for you. (laughs) Where are you? When God says, where are you? That's him letting you know that the relationship has been broken. That day, God's relationship with man was broken. That day. And when he got there, verse 13 says, so the Lord God asked the woman, I love that he asked her, what is this you have done? And the woman said, I don't know why you ask me. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed. More than any of any livestock and more than any wild animal. Somebody saying, well, see, isn't he cursed? It's a snake. Keep reading. You will move on your belly and eat the dust all the days of your life. I don't know if he clipped his cherubim wings or whatever he did. I don't know what happened there euphemistically, but he said, but he said, this is what I do. This is what I do know clearly here. It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. This is beautiful. It's a curse, but it's beautiful for Eve. Because this is God letting us know that he redeemed her right here. How do we know? Because he says, even though you've sinned, Eve, I am going to redeem you and let there be a difference between those who come from your womb spiritually and who comes from his womb spiritually. In other words, there will be, there will be sons of Satan and sons and daughters of Eve. So now your womb will become, even though you will have children with pain, out of your womb will become a godly lineage of people who will rage against the one who deceived you and your husband. Y'all don't know when to shout. I'm going to keep reading. This is beautiful. He said, and between your offspring and her offspring, he said, I will strike your head and he, and you will strike his heel. (laughs) I love this. I love this. You will crush his head. You will strike his head and crush his heel. It points to, it goes from offspring plural to he Amen. narrows down to the Lord Jesus Christ, y'all. Amen. Jesus Christ is going to come and he is going to do what no one can do. That's why he's called the second Adam. Because he will die on the cross. And when we get to Colossians 2, I can't even wait. When we talk about the work of Jesus Christ and what his work on the cross does in the spirit realm. 
and him getting up from the grave and what it did. Because the Bible says, may the God, of, the God of priests will soon crush Satan under your feet. And his end will be crazy because at the end, the Bible says, because of what Christ has done for him and after we've been raised from him with him, in Revelation 20, verse 7 through 10, I'm done. It says, when thousand years are complete, completed, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who has deceived them will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night. This is a beautiful picture. Jesus Christ is ruling in the center of the new Jerusalem and he's chilling, sitting on his throne on earth. Satan comes against him with his army after he gets released from prison. And what's interesting is you know, some people go to jail, they learn, and they don't do it no more. He's a dummy. He get out of jail and do the same thing. And when he comes back, he comes with a group of people. This old fly, fire just drops from heaven, burns them up, leaves Satan coming by himself. He comes by himself, he's standing there. Some angels, some, some angelic forces pick him up and throw him into the lake of fire forever where he and the false prophet are. What's powerful about this is this is his end. So if this is his end and Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave has taken care of you, why in the world are you letting the enemy rage in your life when Christ has made a way for you to resist the enemy in every single area of your life? This is his end. This is his end. And so we'll be back next week, Lord say the same, and dig in some more. Every head bow, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ the Savior. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.